Hello and welcome to The Rules of Investing. I'm your host, David Thornton. Today's guest is Oscar Oberg from Wilson Asset Management. Oscar joined WAM as an equity analyst in May 2016 following a five-year period working as a small companies analyst at sell-side firm CLSA. In July of 2018, Oscar was promoted to lead portfolio manager responsible for WAM Capital, WAM Microcap, WAM Active, and WAM Research. He follows in the footsteps of some well-regarded names, including Jeff Wilson, Matthew Kidman, and Chris Stott. Today, WAM Capital has a market cap of around $2.25 billion. In today's episode, we discuss the evolution of WAM Capital since Oscar took the helm, the parts of the market that have been oversold, and what WAM needs to see in a company before it pulls out its wallet. Okay, Oscar, thanks for joining us on the Rules of Investing. Thanks for having me, Dave. Really appreciate it. Okay, so WAM's main fund, um, WAM Capital, it's been held by some pretty heavy hitters in the past, uh, Jeff Wilson, Matthew Kidman, Chris Sutt. How has it changed since you've uh, taken over and, and how have you put your stamp on it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been great, sort of been learned learn a lot um, over my six years at WAM. I mean, obviously, Jeff... Matthew, Chris, Martin, got the Matt and John and the Leaders Fund and obviously our current team with Tobias and the six of us in the team. It's just been fantastic. Um, in terms of how we run the portfolio, um, WAM Capital, all the funds we manage, it's still the same. Um, we still have our sort of trust investment process we've been doing or using for over uh, 20 years um, and certainly been proved to be resilient through all sorts of market conditions over the medium term. And I guess the key for us is we're, we're always looking for companies to strong earnings growth, quality management team, quality sector, and also a catalyst to see the company re-rate over time. But I think if you had a look at it, the portfolio and how it's been managed differently per se, um, you know, I think it's fair to say uh, going you know, in the, in the mid-2000s and, and sort of leading up to probably the 2018 sell-off in the market, we, we did hold a lot more cash. But I'd say the portfolio, uh, you know, the growth angle in the portfolio or the, the size of the market capitalization for companies that we did invest in was a lot smaller. And I think what we saw with that sell-off uh, in end of 2018, uh, when, of course, there was the first round of interest rate hikes um, from, from the US, US Federal Reserve. And then in early 2019, if you can remember, they backflipped. And we had a, quite a bit of cash at that time, but the stocks we were in were very illiquid and they didn't run with the broader market. So I think it was that that point in time and we had a tough year that year and we made the portfolio decision that we'd, we'd be in more liquid companies and have, have, and have um, a lower low cash balance. So we've uh, since that point in time, our cash has probably averaged between 15 and 16%. Um, and I think the main you know, positive around doing that is, you know, the liquidity has been high. So particularly in COVID, we were able to get in and out of the market, get out of the market and then back in pretty quickly. Um, and, and you were able to do that generally time time the COVID crash and then get back in for well, the we way were, up. Or we'd love to time the COVID <laughs> crash, but we made a call in the portfolio around um, third week of February, which was probably about a week or two before it sort of really hit hard. And it was probably more of a function of where we were positioned. We had a lot of mining services, a lot of retail, a lot of building materials. At the time, the Australian economy was sort of rebounding and that's we had a really strong reporting season. And I think sort of you know, when the worst of COVID started to happen, when I think we got into Korea and Italy, we were like, oh dear, we've got a, we've got a bit of a problem here. Um, but we did. We went from cash, I think 15% cash to you know close to 40% very quickly. But then most importantly, we got back in the market. And if we didn't get back in the market, we wouldn't have had a good year. And we had a good year in, if, you know, in, in, in 2020 and 2021. Um, 
But I think, you know, the fundamentals of WAM really haven't changed. We're still looking for undervalued growth companies. We use the micro cap portfolio a lot in terms of finding new ideas, at the, particularly in those, those smaller companies. Um, and so most of our successful companies as a group have come from the micro cap portfolio, where it be John's Ling Group, City Chic, um, Tourism Holdings or companies like that. So, um, so yeah, overall, we, we haven't changed in terms of how we're investing. We just probably have a little bit lower cash. So lots of headwinds at the moment. We've got, you know, 50 basis point rate hikes going on. We've got inflation, of course, supply chain bottlenecks. Um, what's your outlook at the moment for the smalls and mids? I was looking, there was a great chart someone sent me the other day. I think it was one of my mates. And it was, it was showing the number of times the phrase bear market gets mentioned in daily news articles. And um, I think in the middle of COVID, the worst in COVID, it was like about 450 news articles mentioned that word. I think today it's double that. Um, so everyone is bearish um, and everyone is bearish on small and mid cap companies. Um, and there's, look, there's certainly headwinds around costs and, and um, well, costs and inefficiencies and, um, you know, staff absenteeism and, and, and so forth. So, but, and everyone is pricing in a recession, but we really do think um, the, the, the share prices have moved well in advance of where the earnings are going to. We don't think the earnings cuts will be as dramatic as potentially the market thinks. But most importantly for us is if we look at WAM Capital right now, we have more than 50% of our companies that have more cash and property on their balance sheet than their debt that that's owing. And for us, these we feel our portfolio is in much better strength uh, to, to fight a recession than perhaps it was back in you know, the start of the GFC or even before uh, COVID started. So we're seeing a lot of ideas. Sectors are um, trading at multi-decade lows, so we're, we're quite positive on the outlook. So you think in general the market has oversold a lot of these quality names? I think so in small, small and mid caps. I mean, I was looking at the US the other day and um, the Russell 2000, I think, is trading at a uh, you know, price earnings multiple around 12 and a half times. I think the 20-year average is about 15. But if you compare small cap companies to large cap companies, it's actually the cheapest small cap companies have looked since 2001. So yes, the technology sector, you know, is, with rising interest rate market is, is tough. But it's every other sector has been hit, growth and value. Um, and we think there's a lot of companies out there that you know look very attractive. We're seeing companies that are, their valuation, um, the share price is actually lower than what their dividends, their dividend yield. Um, we're seeing strong balance sheets. If you know we see good management teams and boards, they might see acquisitions that potentially at the bottom of the cycle. So, look, we're we're very positive. Um, valuations are great. We just got to get through this period of um, uncertainty over the next sort of six to twelve months. So what's go time for you? Is it when the earnings come out? Do you want to buy just before that point? You know, what's what's the the tell for you as to to when to get shopping? Yeah, I think I mean this upcoming August reporting season will be very interesting. I think you know it's it's clear with the, when we look at sell side analysts um, and, and on the research side of things that they are stretched. They cover a lot of companies and so, and things have been moving very quickly and we saw this in COVID and there's no doubt there's going to be earnings downgrades um, coming into the August result, particularly in that um, any sort of sector that's exposed to the economy. Now, if you look at share prices though, that we, we think that the market has moved in advance of that. Um, short, you know, short interest in stocks, particularly in consumer discretionary would probably be at record highs. It's increasing every day, it feels like. So it won't take much for these companies to go up in our view. Um, so there's definitely going to be opportunities at that reporting season. You might see earnings downgrades and companies go up. I mean, 
we're starting to see that now in a number of sectors where companies heavily impacted by COVID, heavily impacted by weather, um, you know, are downgrading, actually holding up pretty well um, as, as, as investors sort of look through the uncertain, the current uncertainty to where the, the business will earn in a future date. So we think those opportunities look very interesting at the moment. So give us a couple of names. Yeah, I think it's 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 sort of it's interesting thinking about that because it's been a fascinating time since COVID began. And you sort of look at always remember the e-commerce sector at the end of 2020 when yeah you know, those companies were killing it, and then they started kept upgrading revenue expectations, and the share prices started to fall as as investors thought it was too good to be true. We saw that with retail. And I think we're seeing that now with the most relevant sector or uh, at the moment is probably the agricultural sector, like Elders, New Farm, Grain Corp had incredible results. They've all been sold off since then. So I think like for us, we're looking for those companies where you know, ideally not, not so much exposed to the consumer, um, but have been really hit hard um, in, in the last couple of years. And certainly, yeah, well, COVID is one thing. Um, staff absenteeism from COVID and, um, or in just general, the flu at the moment seems like it's worse than COVID. Um, and then also weather. It's been an extreme weather event over the really last two years. So looking towards sort of the next financial year or even after the next financial year after that, where these companies can get to sort of where they should be earning. And the companies that we like there, we, we look uh, like G8 Education in childcare, United Malt, Select Harvest in, in agriculture, um, and also on the healthcare side, like Capital Health, uh, Healthier, and also Sigma Pharmaceuticals. So they're the sort of companies we're looking on, on a sort of three to five year view. And we were saying off air, you're also quite keen on um, family run businesses. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. Sort of family run businesses or founder led businesses. You know, they're founder led, right? Founder led, but yeah. I mean, you, you sort of, I guess, you're investing with the owner, and that's always like a positive thing um, for us. And Generally, founder-led businesses have a lot of property as well, um, and you know some companies such as Mars Group or Premier Investments, Seven Group come to mind. Um, and so, yeah, we generally like investing alongside owners um, because they have a similar interest that that you do. So that is quite, um, yeah, prevalent across our funds. Really, um, you know, if, if I take something like an event entertainment, for instance, I think the market cap of the company is around $2.3 billion, but they've got $2 billion of property on the balance sheet. So yes, the consumer might get tough, but in reality, you're sort of only paying about one or two times earnings for or EBITDA for for, for their business that what they used to do before COVID started. So for us, we're pretty comfortable owning stocks like that. Okay. So uh, flip side of that coin, what are some sectors and stocks that you're steering well clear of at the moment? Yeah, I think... Yeah, I've sort of talked about it previously that certainly any company where we think has had a bump unnecessarily from, you know, the current environment, um, you know, agriculture comes to mind like an elders grain corp. There's nothing wrong with the businesses, but like, and they could continue to have strong results. But I guess it's our feeling that, comp- that investors are probably hiding there given it sort of it is a tough environment and the, the earnings and the balance sheet are very strong. But I guess our view is, is if the market changes, it's going to be fair, find it very hard for those companies to go up. Um, I think, look, I'm, I'm not not <laughs> revolutionary here by any means, but I think it's going to be a very hard market for loss-making tech companies uh, for sure. Um, so that that it's that's going to take some time to play out. I think those companies, though, that do have earnings look interesting. Um, we've seen a lot of takeover activity there. There was Hanson last year, Infomedia at the moment. 
Um, so there's no doubt there will be a lot of um, acquisition or consolidation of that industry, I think, over the next sort of 12 months. So they're, they're, they're the two sectors at the moment that sort of to us, you know, probably, you know, we're, we're, we're underweight. Um, but as I said earlier, there's a lot of opportunities, a um, lot, of, lot of good sectors out there that are on very attractive valuations. You don't really invest in commodities. Um, have you got a case of FOMO? Oh, 100%. <laughs> I just went to Perth and it's back on, geez. Um, 2012, far out. Um, <laughs> that's what it feels like. Um, look, we've always sort of tried to play it through mining services companies. And to be fair, the sector's been a dog over the last two or three years. I mean, if you told me that thermal coal prices would be where they're now, I'd say Emico should be about $3. But um, anyway, but look, we do think they're going to have a good year next year. Um, so key holdings for us, NRW, Emico, Seven Group, um, still positive on the expiration names, ALS, ALS and, and Index. Um, but yeah, clearly next last couple of, of years been very tough with COVID inefficiencies without being able to travel in, interstate and so forth. There is a lack of labor at the moment, but we do feel like the contracting environment is going to get more positive for these companies as um, things like staff shortages and cost inflation gets built into these contracts. Um, so, and, this thing, and most importantly, the companies are very cheap. I mean, most of them are trading at single digit price earnings multiples and the balance sheets are in good, good nick. So I think the mining services sector and the contracting sector as a whole could have a very good um, next financial year. Given what you just said, and also given the fact you're not uh, invested, that really speaks to the importance to invest in in sectors and stocks that you're familiar with. Yeah, I think you know it's important. We have a, a process, and we've done you know done it a certain way over the last you know over twenty years within WAM Capital. I mean, we do have flexibility to if we see any resources company that has a catalyst, and we do have a few resources companies in the portfolio. It's just a very small weighting. Um, you know, we, we, we do have the ability to invest in them. So I guess it just comes down to our process. But if I have a look at the small cap industrials that we generally speak, that we generally invest in, they're down, I think 23 or 24%. So we're in a bear market right now. Broader market's been flat. I think, um, you know, small resources sector has outperformed small industrials by about 40% this financial year. So the big risk for us managing the portfolio would be, oh, you know, let's oh, let's join the party and switch all into resources now. Um, I think that would be a very silly thing to do. So we're sticking to what we think we're good at. Um, we're going to have to ride through some uncertainty. There's no doubt about it. Um, but in our view, management and strong balance sheets will come through. And, um, you know, we're certainly very optimistic about the future. So take us through uh, your process of selecting your stocks. You make stock selection uh, based on on a research process, uh, and then you also take market opportunities. Um, so, if you could just run us through each of those processes and maybe colour them with some examples, if you could. So, within WAM Capital, which is the largest fund that we manage, approximately fifty percent, um, well, waiting for fifty fifty in terms of the stocks we invest in, are from a long term research strategy and also a shorter term, let's call it market driven process. So. In terms of research, which is the easiest to understand, we generally take three, a three to five year view on companies. We're looking for very strong earnings growth, looking for a great management team, and we're looking for strong industry positioning. And then we need a catalyst. So a catalyst is something that can change uh, the perception of the company and re-rate the share price. So, I mean, a good example there is probably, you know, probably one of our best stocks this year um, was Viva Energy, mm -hmm. um, which we've owned for a, long, a huge amount of time. 
it's fun. It's funny how we just, you battle for a com- with a company for a number of years and you scratch your head while it's not going up. And then all of a sudden in three months, it's gone up 50%. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is a, one of the highest quality management teams that we deal with. Um, so it basically runs service stations across Australia with um, uh, the Shell or the Coles Express brand. Um, but, you know, we, we owned it for a long, long time. And that was due to our belief that um, certainly the business was under earning um, in their service station business and in particular refining, which had gone through three really hard years. Um, now, we, um, we owned, it was one of our larger positions, but we went to our largest position um, just after the government basically came in around, I think it was August, and um, effectively protected the downside in that refining division by providing a subsidy for for refiners uh, in Australia. And around that same time, you also saw two other competing refiners in Australia close close their business, just leaving effectively Ampol and Viva's uh, refinery. And then what we've seen has just been crazy, really, since um, the Russia-Ukraine war, and got record high refining margins now. Um, and as you know, it's interesting that that business, I think lost a hundred million dollars, I think from memory off the top of my head in county year 21, I mean, it's could be on track to make about 700, seven, 800 million this year now. Um, and of course the share price has responded there gone from $2 to $3, uh, very, very quickly. So that's a good example of the research strategy on the active strategy. I think the simplest way to explain it is it's for companies that don't fit our research strategy, but have a catalyst. Catalysts like an earnings upgrade, um, divestment, um, uh, you know, it might be capital management share buyback or something like that. Um, best example, AMP. Um, we bought AMP around September, October last year. Um, reasons there was pretty simple. They were going to sell AMP Capital, uh, their funds management business. Um, we knew it was on the, on the books for a certain amount, and the market was really. Um, if you have a look at the share price around that period, I think the, the net tangible assets was about $1.20. We were buying AMP at around $0.85, cents. Um, And it was our view that they'd sell AMP capital for more than their net tangible assets. Now, in the end, they broke up the business and sold it into pieces. But as of today, that, that net tangible assets has increased to about $1.35 a share. Um, I think the share price is around $1.10 now. So it's still trading at a discount. Um, we do think they'll continue to sell assets, so we hold it. It's one of our what is is our largest position in the portfolio. But I think the big catalyst for the company now is they're going to um, look to return a lot of the proceeds from the, those asset sales back through a buyback or a capital return. So and it could be quite meaningful, like you know, a substantial portion of their their market capitalization. So for that, that's a, that's a, that's an example of a, of an active or a, a trading or market market driven position in the portfolio. Is it easy to get burned when you chase those those market opportunities that don't go the, through the same kind of analysis those other stocks go through? Can you get caught in a value trap? Um, look, I mean, geez, uh, there's been pretty lot, quite a number of values over the last twelve months. That's for sure, given the current market. But look, we we still have a rigorous process. It just effectively all goes through the research driven process effectively, and if it doesn't fit, you know, we've got to be confident around the catalyst. So you know, if we if we remember when sort of we've always been underweight the technology sector, you know, over the last six years. Um, but you know, when when Afterpay, as, as an example, we we were one of the shareholders on the IPO. That sat in the the, the market driven part of the portfolio, and effectively that was just purely because we thought it would keep continue to upgrade expectations at every update, and it ended up being a you know a cracker for us. So it still goes through the same rigorous um, 
analysis that the research-driven portfolio is. It's just it just doesn't fit. You know, if the for instance, if the value like Afterpay, it was on a crazy valuation at the time, so it just didn't fit in the research process. Those tech stocks, how cheap would they have to get until they tickles your fancy? Um, yeah, I mean it's, it's a difficult question. Um, I think I was looking at something the other day, and it's been savage. I think greater than sixty percent of the Nasdaq is down over fifty percent um, since the highs. But I think the average uh, enterprise value to sales is, I think, still around eight to ten times. And I think back in the um, in the tech rack, I think all the like the, the recurring the SaaS businesses, I think the the EV to sales went to about four or five times. So it's tough. It's tough, but there's no doubt there's there's going to be interesting opportunities. Um, I think you know the, the tech companies that are profitable, um, you know, I think you know won't underperform as much as the the unprofitable ones, which is you know it's very tough. And a lot of those unprofitable ones need to find a way to get profitable really over the next twelve months. Um, but yeah, look in terms of how our portfolio is positioned, we're very much underweight the sector. I mean. The only company we own is ProMedicus, um, the catalyst there being contract wins and the fact it's profitable, good management teams actually doing a buyback as well. Um, but it's very, very expensive. I'm not going to hide away from that. Um, so, yeah, look, tough sector at the moment. So red line through those long duration names? You can't call it, ever say a red line because <laughs> <laughs> they will come back. And we and that's what we do in WAM. Like, you know, that's the strength of the business. We, we do so many meetings a year. Like always our best calls are – companies that are just totally forgotten about. And, um, you know, you keep seeing them every six, you know, you might see them once or twice a year for five years and then something comes good and you go, oh, geez, that looks interesting. Like we, we, you know, a large shareholder in Mermaid Marine, which does tugboats as an example for, for the oil and gas industry. And, you know, it's funny, I talked to people about that and they, I said, oh, you know, we own some Mermaid Marine. They're like, Mermaid Marine? <laughs> like, is that still around? I was like, yeah. Um, you remember, oil, oil prices have gone up. This is actually pretty good for it. Um, so, you know, we find that's the strength of WAM. So we never, ever put the red line through a sector, the tech sector, because um, that's a big danger because, you know, it could be um, some bargains coming at, at some point. Just doesn't feel like now. <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, how confused is the market at the moment? In the past, when there's been a sell-off um, or a bull market, it seems more to be the case that everything moves in lockstep. But at the moment, it's just, you know, some sectors are going gangbusters, others are the opposite. It's just so, so confused. Yeah, it's funny. I wouldn't use confused. I would say it's probably the most, um, how can I say, uh, I've never seen the market more one way. Like, it's, it's, everyone is just the hatred of anything, any <laughs> company that's got to do is exposed to the economy. It's like, that's screwed. Yep. Um, but anything that's not or is, you know, resources related, um, or, or is a beneficiary inflation is exactly where you want to go. Like, I mean, I was having a look at another chart and maybe looking at all these, I'm, I'm looking at too many charts at the moment because <laughs> I'm trying to understand why, why it's a tough market. But, um, yeah, there's the most inflows we've seen into energy, commodities, banks, all that inflation beneficiaries, which is what you'd normally see, which is right, the rightfully so. It's been like that for the last, I think it's the most we've ever seen in 25 years, but we've seen the most outflows um, or underweights, let's call it, in in stocks exposed to the economy. So yeah, it's one way traffic at the moment. It's hard to know when it when that subsides. Um, there's no question about it. But I think, you know, you stick to the process and you've got companies that you're confident in earnings. You see the valuation and, you know, the earnings growth 
you know, even if this is a tough year next year, if the earnings growth is higher than the valuation, that's good. And the balance sheet's good, the management's good. That's a that's a good that's a good investment for us, irrespective of the market. So you know, that's why hence why we we're seeing a lot of opportunities. So th- that that hatred, that broad brushing of you know anything that's linked to the economy, as you said, does that present opportunities? Definitely, um, we're seeing in our micro cap portfolio a lot at the moment where. You know, the small company, you think small and mid caps are bad right now. Think about micro cap investing. That's as bad as it gets. Um, <laughs> but in saying that, it was as good as it gets over the last three or four years. Um, so we are seeing, in, you know, whether it's retail investors or other institutional investors, um, you know, they might have a small holding in their portfolio. They want to get rid of it and they want to get rid of it at any price. Um, you know, but and we're certainly happy to take those companies. I'll give you a good example. Like we own shares in Dusk, which is a retailer, right? Retailer of um, effectively candles, let's call it. Now, clearly, you know, retail is probably not the, the best sector to be invested in, but it's currently trading on a price earnings multiple of about four times earnings. Its market cap is about 110 mil and it's got 40 mil of cash. And I think. <laughs> It's gonna, and it's just going to survive. <laughs> well, exactly. So I'm like, I'm happy to buy that company. Like I'll keep buying it. Does that's fine because yeah. And again, we you know there's reasons, other reasons why we own the stock. But yeah, you know, we're seeing craziness like that. And you know, you'll never pick the bottom. You just got to make sure you're in the right companies when the market does recover. Um, and that's sort of well, that's the main thing we're fo- we're trying to focus on within the business. That seems almost like the main takeaway uh, from the chat we've had. You know these. Companies, they've they've got great assets. Um, they're not going anywhere. They've a lot of cash, um, strong earnings, but the market's just oversold them. That's the feeling. Now, you know we can't. I don't have a crystal ball. Um, it's hard to call where inflation and interest rates are going to end up. Um, so that's not to say that we don't think that there's more downside from here. But looking on a medium-term view, or even, we think we're incredibly well positioned. Um, and if things get worse, we do have the flexibility, as I said earlier in the in the chat. That, you know, we are in more liquid companies, particularly in WAM Capital. Microcap will be a little bit harder, um, but WAM Capital, where we can we can go to cash pretty quickly. Um, but we're not we're definitely not at that point yet. Um, so yeah, look, I think it's going to be more uncertainty. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if. Um, the preference towards large cap company and uh, companies and resources versus small cap industrial companies continues, but we want to be prepared for when it changes. And when it changes, it'll be, it'll the switch will, it'll it'll flick really quickly. Um, and so, hence why we're staying involved in the market. And as long as again, as I said, if we're seeing companies that fit our process, um, we'll invest in them. Have you found yourself creeping up the market cap spectrum? Well, we have. Um, Really, we made that decision around sort of when we got burnt uh, in, uh, when was it, early 2019? And that work definitely worked in through COVID, there's no doubt about it. And even when we got back into the market, you know, when sort of around sort of mid to late March, when it f- felt like things were getting better, we did focus on the larger cap companies within WAM Capital. Um, so, yeah, I think we are in larger companies. A lot of those larger companies have gotten smaller though over the last six months, there's no question. Um, but again, we, we do liquidity anal- analysis on the portfolio all the time and we're very, very comfortable. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as I said, 
you know, the, the broader Australian market is pretty much flat over this period and small industrials are down 23, 24%, I think it is, somewhere like that, around that, that level. So it's been savage. Um, so we're, we're holding out. How long will the savagery last? Oh, big question. Uh, it's crystal ball stuff, um, but I'll, I, I'll hold I, you to I it. Feel, I feel like results will be better than what people think, particularly in retail. Um, I think people forget we were locked down this time last year. Like the, the, the Omicron COVID impacts will last really till about February, March next year, if that makes sense. So like the periods that the retailers are cycling are, are not too bad. Now, compounding that though, offsetting that, is the fact there has been a shift from goods to services. So, you know, your travel's going nuts at the moment. Um, entertainment's going going very well. Um, so, look, I I, th- I personally think when I look at a lot of these retails continue to get sold off, I, I think most of them will hit reasonable numbers this year. Outlook statements will be very conservative, but I just don't necessarily think it is as bad as what people think. So I think there's a lot of feeling out there, particularly I'll, I'll focus on retail where a, lo- a number of companies have bought too much inventory um, and potentially need to write it off. But we, we're pretty confident those inventory balances will reduce. We don't look at their inventory and go, from all the work we do and say it's redundant and needs to be written off. But I do think there's a big portion of the market that thinks that. Um, so I think for us that generally will be a pretty big catalyst as we go into August and also in the next February. Um, but to call when this uncertainty, particularly in small industrials, is going to end, it's tough. It's tough. I guess my feeling is is that, yeah, I feel like the 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 underperformance versus, I guess, large caps, let's call it, large cap companies, if we are truly going to go in a deep recession, then I feel like the underperformance versus large caps feels like it's done now. The famous last words. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, one more of those sort of questions. Five years down the track, we look back, what what will be the point that the tide kind of turns? Do you think it's, it, for those ec- if those stocks that are exposed to the economy, do you think it's inflation stabilizing and then turning? Um, what what would be, you know, the the point where, yeah, things start to change? I'm trying to give a bit of hope. Yeah, no. <laughs> a bit I, of hope for our, no, for I'm, our, I'm, our Yeah, business. no, I'm, I, I, like, as, as I said, I'm, I'm positive. Like, it's just, there's just, the short term is tough. There's no doubt about it. But on a medium to long term view, like we still own a company like City Chic as an example. It's fallen from $6.50 to $2. But we think, okay, yeah, maybe, and I think the COVID low might have been $1.40, $1.50. I think it's, the, the yes, inflation's bad, but it's nowhere near as bad as what it was at a, you know, in the middle of COVID. Um, that's personally my view. I mean, I was looking at Umedia uh, today as well. I think the share price at the moment, which is outdoor media, yes, the advertising market, if we're worried about a recession, is tough, but it's better than what it was in, in the middle of COVID. And that's where we're trading at in terms of the share price below that. Um, so there's definite opportunities. Now, when does, it, when does it come back to smalls? My feeling, and the funny thing is, I think <laughs> we're all stock pickers in small caps, but I feel like all of us have tried to become macro investors over the last <laughs> two years. And I tell you what, like when, you, when you're when you a small cap investor and you start talking macro, it's, it's all over. Um, <laughs> but I will talk macro, but I think it's probably when um, and it's pretty simple. Like there's estimates in terms of where, you know, certainly the cash rate will go to in Australia. And let's, you know, I think I saw today is thinking sort of this time next year, it's at 3.94%. Now it's probably just as we get confidence that it can fall back to trend. And if that's at two to 3%, then I think you can, that's when the market will, will, will shift back to small caps. Um, I think that's the uncertainty about where interest rates 
or go to at this point, which is scaring everyone. Um, the tough thing about it is, is there's no doubt the CPI or the inflation prints that we'll get, particularly in Australia, if we focus in Australia, will get tougher over the next few months. You think about where we were this time last year, no one was going to a movie, no one was traveling, all that's coming back. Um, so yeah, the inflation prints will get tougher. It just depends where sort of projections of interest rates, um, when they come down, when they come down, it'll be positive. It'll, it'll shift back to smalls. Okay. That's the end of the regular part of the interview. Um, for Jessica, every episode we put the same three questions to every guest, a uh, bit of fun, bit of thought experiment. Question one, what book has been most influential uh, uh, and how has it uh, influenced your investment sort of thinking and process? Yeah, I'm probably getting a bad answer here because I find, I don't know, I've, I think I've read too many investment books. I'm starting to get like jaded on them. I find like if I want to read, if I read a good investment book, I, I'll give you an example, like Buffett's book, like, oh, geez, I last like 300 pages and I, I think I just couldn't read it anymore. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a bad, a bad answer. Um, but I really like, like, you know, this is, bit cringe, I guess, but like shoe dog, I always really liked. And it was just, I, I just thought it was a great story. Um, you know, Phil Knight was a, a clearly like a you know, entrepreneur, um, you know, had a long-term view. And I think just generally what I liked about the book was, you know, he wasn't a micromanager. He let, he was pretty happy for his, the guys reporting into him to make mistakes and have a crack. And, you know, if I sort of look at sort of my career, particularly at Wilson Asset Management and look at sort of all the the funds that we've started there, that's certainly the ethos of, of Jeff and the team. So I've always, you know, I've always loved that book. I think I've read it twice. Um, so, yeah, so I'm not going to give you like, you know, all the, the standard like responses no, there, but that, like, that's I okay. just think it's one, it's a good one for everyone. So no, well, that, I read the, that's um, good. Dave Grohl's Foo Fighters, uh, I, from the Foo Fighters, his autobiography the other awesome. day. That is a cracker. Yeah. No, you should read that. It's good. Okay. Question two, what's been your biggest gain or loss? So you can go the easy route or the, the harder route. Um, and what did you learn from it? All right. So in terms of gain, um, we've sort of mentioned on the call before it was, it was city chic. Um, and that was a, you know, great example of sort of our process at WAM where we don't, you know, we don't have, we always see a lot of, a lot of companies all the time and we bought, you know, we saw specially fashion worlds when it was called sort of, I think it was in sort of early 2017, uh, probably mid 2017 was when we first launched the microcap fund and especially fashion had an update and they said, we're doing a strategic review. So we went and saw them and it was our sort of view that the strategic review would be, we're going to get rid of the core or the mature and the poor performing retail brands. And we're going to focus on the best brand, which was City Chic. Now at the time, if you look back at the specially fashion presentations, it didn't tell you what City Chic earned and how profitable the business was, but it told you what the revenue was. Um, and it was growing very quickly. Now we got lucky and we started buying shares around 20 cents and we actually owned Noni B at the time. It was quite a big position for the portfolio. And Noni B decided to buy the mature brands off City Sheet. Now, it was a funny situation where it was a good deal for Noni, brand, Noni, Noni B because it was a creative, um, but it was also a good deal for City Sheet and we owned both. And I remember we saw, we got, um, when we had the presentation, you know, with um, Noni B and saw the numbers, we actually saw what City Chic earned and we couldn't believe how profitable it was, which meant that the actual mature brands were losing a lot of money. Anyway, I remember saying to Chris and the team, we're like, well, but we're all saying this thing's going to double when it, this is City Chic, when it, when it comes out of trading hold. And it didn't. 
went up sort of maybe it went up 20 or 30% or something. And we tried, we bought as much as, of, as we could. And in the end, we ended up, well, I think it was like 10 or 11% of the company at 60, 70 cents. And we bought across the micro cap fund and also Wham Capital and effectively rode it all the way to, it got to $6.50 in November. Um, now it's back at $2. Um, and as I said earlier, we, we, yeah, we, we, we still own the, own the company. Um, great management team, good board. Um, just got to get through this tricky period. But yeah, that was probably our biggest success story as a team. Um, worst, I mean, the one that comes to mind, which is probably a good, it was a good lesson really. And it, it was by no means our worst stock, um, but it was just when I sort of joined Wham. Um, I remember I pitched it and we put it in the portfolio and it was a good lesson. It was a village roadshow when it was listed. And the thesis to buy it was effectively at the time was it was it was a year after the um, Dreamworld incident. And so we thought, you know, okay, looked at the history of theme park accidents, usually took a year or two to come back. Um, saw management and, you know, sort of felt like things were improving. But at the time, that, that was when they had Wet and Wild and Sydney and Top Golf, And it was one of those stocks where you'd sort of tally up everything together in terms of earnings. You go, oh, this business is under earning by about 20% right now. So we thought there'd be earnings upgrades and we bought it. And I think, I think it might've taken us a week to buy it. And then I reckon once we'll finally set, I think the day after we'll finally set the portfolio downgrade. <laughs> and it was, I think it was like a 30% miss or something. And you're looking at it, scratching your head. And then you sort of realize, oh, hang on. It had a bad track record in the market. There's no doubt about it. We're bad allocators of capital for a number of years and really should have had a discount on the company. Um, you know, even though the sum of the parts of the business you know, would, were probably a lot higher than what the current share price was. And in the end, it got taken out. So that was probably um, the thesis probably, that was a few years later though, mind you. Um, but it was a good lesson in terms of sort of management and board and, and why you sort of need, that's very important when you're looking at a company. And this, this was one of your first pitches after joining Wham. Well, it's funny, you know, um, I think it was, I got very lucky when I joined Wham because I, I um, used to cover a lot of the mining services when I was on the sell side. And I think I covered it for a whole three months when it was good back in 2012. And then for five years, it was a disaster. Um, and then sort of I joined Wham, I reckon it was sort of March or April, May 2016. And that was right at the bottom. So I remember we put in some mining services around that period of time and, you know, like anyone, when you get a few things right, you get overconfident. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I might pitch something outside of mining services. Oh, let's do the village roadshow. And then, then you get brought down to the earth, to earth. So, yeah, it's pretty – I think that example a lot of people could relate to because that happens all the time. Yeah. Got to maintain a bit of humility oh, big with time. investing. Big time. Whenever you think you're going – you're giving yourself a high five or pat yeah. on the back. Check, there's, check yourself. There's, there's something coming around the corner, <laughs> that's for sure. For sure. Okay, uh, question three, a bit of a thought experiment. Now, i got to preface by saying we don't recommend anyone do this, but if the market was to close for five years and you could only hold one stock, what would it be? Yeah, so the company we really like, and you know, we mentioned founder lead companies before and um, this is certainly one of them, uh, is Mars Group, ticker's MGH. Um, so the business founded um, by, by Wes Mars. Um, uh, it's board and management own over 60% of the shares on issue um, and they've continued to buy shares since the company listed, which is fantastic. Um, in, the business listed at the back end of 2020. It's done incredibly well. Um, 
Now, in terms of what the business uh, does, it's a regionally uh, based construction and building materials company. And if you have a think about it, and for any of the listeners that have been to towns such as Ar- Armadale, Dubbo, Wagga, um, Orange, Mudgee, these companies have had a massive population boom in the last few years, and they're big. They're big towns now. Um, and what you've seen that, and then secondly, what you've seen is a lot of the larger building material companies and construction companies, such as Asimic and Borrell, have had their own share of problems and probably more focused on CBD areas. So have really left those regional areas. And this has meant that Mars has a has a dominant position. Yeah, you, know, you can almost say almost in some area, in some businesses, probably a monopoly. Um, you know, in certain towns. Um, so, you know, certainly Wes, the founder, has big ambitions for the company. Um, if you have a look at sort of the run rate of earnings into next year, um, this is before organic growth. We think it's trading on a price earnings multiple of around 13 times earnings. Um, now, that's not the exciting part. And I think this is where the market misses it on the stock. Um, no one really talks about the property there in the balance sheet. So, um, Mars has around sort of $200 million of um, commercial property and residential property that they've acquired. Um, it's at cost on the balance sheet. And I think what people miss is that a lot of this property they acquired in the worst of the drought, let's call it in 2018, 2019, 2020. And a lot of this property is worth materially higher than what it is on the balance sheet. Now, we think the developed value of this property is multiples higher than that $200 million. And we think it's It'll take probably the next 12 months for the market to work this out. So, um, you know, the standalone business, if you value it on sort of, you know, 14 or 15 times earnings, is probably worth, I think, around $6.50. But if you add in the property, which is what we think investors should do, um, and what that could potentially be, we think it could get to $10 over the next, um, which would be doubling of the share price over the next two or three years. So for us, we're, we're very positive on the stock. Um, it's our largest position across WAM Capital. Law School, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much for trekking down to Windy Barangaroo. It's been great. Thanks for thanks for joining us. No worries, anytime. That's it for today's show. If you enjoyed it, please give us a follow on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you like this wire, be sure to give it a like. We'll see you next week.